All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. You're here with co-host father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you today? Good. Happy holidays to all. We're in the uh, in between the Christmas Hanukkah time and uh, and the new year. We've been trying to get this guy on. It's just kind of playing, uh, lining up schedules here. And uh, we've been talking to him probably for months. Uh, give us the intro here, Andrew. Yeah, so we've got with us Brady Florent today. So Brady has uh, been featured and was captain of his new uh University of New England team, NCAA, uh, the the three AAA, and then he went on to play the ECHL and the SPHL, and has been doing so since 2019, the tail end of his college career, and has been featured with uh, several ECHL teams, but mostly with Knoxville Ice Bears of the SPHL, so you've seen him all over the coast and all over these leagues. He's currently with Knoxville, and he was on loan with Atlanta Gladiators earlier in the year, so if you're in the ECHL in Atlanta, you've definitely seen him play, so... We're going to talk to him today, uh, talk to him about his career and his story so far. And um, we've got a main native on here, so we're excited to have him. Brady, how are you today, yeah. sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Excited to be here. Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, so, doing Brady, right, talk, to us, talk to us a little bit about uh, your college days um, and how that prepared you to enter Pro League, because you entered the pros right after graduation, at least according to your stats. Yeah. Um yeah, I went to the University of New England. It's in my hometown, so it's five minutes away from my uh, from my house with my parents. So it was definitely a pretty easy decision for me to go there. And, I mean, um, when I first got there, we were just getting a new head coach, Kevin Swallow. And um, the program wasn't the greatest to start. It was still a new program. But um, ever since him and my freshman year, we've they kind of turned into a powerhouse now. And, um yeah, I just enjoyed it there. We we became very good very quick, I think. Um, we were an offensive team, so I think uh, the numbers kind of – we started our first two years. We were started around 500, and then um, my sophomore, junior, senior year, I think we kind of started to buckle down. Um, I got more of a leadership role those last three years, and I think we started to find our team and our groove, and – yeah, it was. We end up having. I end up winning uh, the CCC championship my senior year. I know. Um, I believe a friend of the podcast would be Jack Kozlarski. He was my assistant coach there. Unbelievable yeah. guy. Um, he helped a lot. I think he was a. Uh, he was a great coach there, and kind of made me a player I am today as well, being the forward coach for us. So, yeah, I think I just kind of I had a good career there, and Kevin Swallow treated me great, and we we're. We we're a good team, so I I enjoyed yeah. it there, and then uh, yeah. What what kind of changed too? Because yeah. you know when you look at the stats, it was like you know you're always point per game player, but all of a sudden you're putting up fifty points starting your sophomore year. So was his was his like offensive strategy a lot more aggressive? So you guys were able to to score more. Was it just you personally? How did that happen? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, my freshman year was a lot of transition. It was. Kevin's first year as well as the head coach trying to get to know his players slash getting to know him a bit. So there was definitely, I'd say in the beginning of the season, a little bit growing pains. And as a freshman, you know, hopping right into us playing first line, you know, it's, it can be a little, a little intimidating going right up there. But uh, my brother was the captain, my freshman, sophomore year, his junior, senior year. So I think it was all about kind of just getting used to each other and the systems and everything that first year and then uh, I think that second year my sophomore year 
I think we kind of all as a team took off and specifically our, our first line, we kind of all went off and had a 50 point season. I think my brother led the league in goals, power play goals, stuff like that. So I think it was just, uh, just getting used to each other and the system a bit. And after I think that first season, it's, it's been nothing but five loss, six losses a year. So I think um, they're doing a great job there and, I give it a lot of coaching, a lot of good players and all that. So, yeah. If you had maybe one or two big things that you could mention in your collegiate career that helped you prepare for pros, what would it be? Um, I'd say probably the speed we played at as a team. Like we, Coach Swallow always wanted us to be a fast, high-paced team. And, I mean, pro hockey, the higher level you go, it's – the speed's obviously faster, you know? So I think I was already used to playing at a, a fast pace and like a running gun. You get the puck, use your speed and go and use your skill. So after playing, uh, going to play in the ECHL after from D3, it's not too many D3 guys can say they get to do that. So to hop right in and to do it, it was, it was definitely a little bit of adjustment with the speed, but I think I picked up on it pretty quick because our team was playing so fast anyway already that it was, uh, I kind of picked up on it pretty quick. I think that'd be the big thing. So you were also a captain. It looks like for your junior and senior year, talk to us about how you, you know, you got that captain role and then uh, what does it take to be a captain? I know it's kind of a broad, you know, question, but you know, I assume that there's a little bit more duties and responsibilities for you on the team, maybe uh, bridging the communication between the coach and maybe, other players that he may not be happy with or something, but kind of talk to us about that and what that actually means to be a captain. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously pretty special to be a captain, especially a, a two year captain like that. I think it's just about being a good teammate and just being a good person around there. I mean, your teammates usually vote on it. So for your teammates to trust you and um, be the guy for them to lean on, I think it was uh, definitely something pretty special. I mean, for, it was definitely I'd been captains almost every year or like um like throughout my career. So it was definitely good to to be one. But um yeah, it was just like, you know, communication with the coach, kind of just little things. And I think why it's just I like to fall like I'm not a big vocal guy in the locker room, but I'm more prove it on the ice and follow by by lead, you know, like I try and do all the little things on and off the ice that the younger guys hopefully follow suit and can kind of see. And, um, yeah, that's, that's why I try and be a captain. I think in both those years, we, uh, we had great years and I think we, not just me, but like overall great leadership group. And usually that can lead to some championships and success. So, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better, a better way to go out of my college career in my hometown to be the captain. Yeah. You mentioned uh, jumping right into uh, into the pros, into the East Coast League. And um, our listeners, uh, if they don't know, it's it's not uncommon for uh, particularly college graduates as they're finishing their senior year to get sort of a tryout or a call up. And it appears that's what happened with you and uh, and, and Atlanta here in 2019. Correct. You got yes. six games in. They called yep. you up. Um Talk a little bit, you just mentioned it, uh, but talk us a little bit about getting that call and also 
the difference. I mean, you're playing with grown men now. They support families. You don't have the cage. You know, it's a big change. Yeah, it it definitely was. It was kind of eye opening. You've like as a kid, I've always wanted to to play pro hockey, and then once you kind of get the call and coming, we I remember it like as yesterday. We were in the NCAA tournament. We lost to Norwich that Saturday night, and I was gone by that Monday morning um, on a flight to Atlanta. It was like boom, boom, and it was just very quick. You get in that locker room, you're you're also the new guy coming right out of college, a little younger, and like you say, you're in the room with grown men and have the experience, and it was, uh, yeah, and then you're going to play. I had never worn a half shield in my life. I've always been caged, even from juniors all the way on, so – it's definitely a little eye opening for sure. The first game, it was definitely a little nervous, but um, it was awesome. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a little transition. But yeah, I think you just kind of you get you get used to it a little bit. You pick up on it, and it was good to kind of get the feet wet in those six games and to kind of just get that little experience, you know. So, what do you get from the coach? I mean, you know, it's more of a of a tryout at the end of the season, which is great. Um, but what feedback do you get from the coach after that? I mean, you know, you're just going to play a handful of games. Yeah. What's sort, so, of, what's sort of the communication? Yeah, it was more like um, they were – Atlanta was fighting for a playoff spot, and I think they had whatever, six, seven, eight games left in the season. And they pretty much wanted needed wanted uh, offensive spark and to see if they could get in. Um, into the playoffs for a playoff run and so pretty much he just wanted to see what I could if I could come for provide that and all that so I got my six games in and um, our last game of the year we had to win to get in to playoffs at the last spot and um, we ended up losing so I got to go back right to school but if we won I was planning on play playing the playoff roster as well so it was kind of just like given the opportunity to see what like as a team they needed some offensive help for them to get in so it was kind of just like the yeah just opportunity to see what if i could play at the level or not and stuff like that so it was definitely um a little weird you know you go for those three four weeks i think i was i was doing classes online still (laughs) Uh, yeah so it it was kind of a it was great opportunity great experience but it was definitely a little weird that was my first yeah. time really leaving Maine as well. So it was kind of a eye-opening experience. So that following year, man, you end up, and I believe this is the timeline, correct me if I'm wrong, but then you sign uh, with Knoxville. This is where your journey with Knoxville starts in the SPHL. Kind of a two-part question. So obviously you uh, are there for your kind of your first real pro season. How did the contract come about? So how did you how did you get in contact with Knoxville? And uh, was it you yourself or was it an agent? I don't know if you had an agent, if it's yourself at this time. And then you're loaned out to three ECHL teams at the time. So just that being the start of your pro career and just the loaning aspect, getting called up three different ECHL teams that had to be kind of crazy to adjust to all these different systems and teams. So start with the SPHL contract and then how that was dealing with freaking four different teams and coaches. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild first year, I'll tell you that. So I actually re re-signed in Atlanta in the summer, went to camp there, and um the we were with the NHL Bruins. They sent down like five, six guys the last day of camp. So I 
I kind of got screwed a little bit. So that's when I had to decide I had, and then I had SBHL teams calling me and I decided on Knoxville. I had a buddy here in Knoxville and he said how much he enjoyed it. The city's great and all that. So I took a limb and went with it and picked uh, Knoxville and I'm so glad I did because now it leads to where I am today. But um, yeah, so I went to Knoxville. I think it was like a month and a half, had a pretty good start. And then, um, yeah, the call-ups just kind of came from there. Um, South Carolina came first. They were like in the, they were setting all the league records and they needed, they had three guys called up for a bit. So they needed a guy. And I was like, I, it was hard not to say no to go play for the best team in the league, even yeah. if it was to fill in and like just to see a different locker room and the experience. And I mean, Charleston, South Carolina, beautiful place too. So um, oh, yeah. I, t- I, I was like, it was a pretty no brainer to take that one. And then um, I enjoyed it there. I got treated great, played my, played my games, played well in those games, but it's just the business side of it when you're, their three best players also all come back and your the hands are kind of tied, you know, and that was real eye opening on how this pro sports is a little different than everybody. As you think as a kid, like there's the business side of it as well. So it's like, sometimes you have your ups and downs with it. So then, um, I ended up going back to Knoxville, I think for like three days. And then, um, I got called back up to wheeling. And then I ended up just having to pack a duffel bag really quick. And they're like, yeah, you got a flight in two hours. You know, that's how it can be sometimes. So I went back really quick, packed my stuff up and went. And then I was in wheeling for a while. I was like two months there. And then um, I was getting ready to go back to Knoxville for like a playoffs because the AHL guys come back and all that. And sometimes it's, like there's just not enough roster spots. Like I feel bad for coaches sometimes because their hands are always tied with, you're only set like a set number and it doesn't allow some coaches. It makes coaches make moves that they don't necessarily want to make. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it from other people. Like it's just how the business side and how it goes, you know? So then um, I was supposed to go back to Knoxville and then I ended up getting, there's a 24 hour waiver wire that anybody in the league can pick you up. So then Norfolk end up, uh, I was getting ready to leave, getting ready to go on my flight. And then Norfolk claimed me and they got a call. saying. So then I had to change it and go to Norfolk. And then, um, so I was there for until, and then, um, COVID hit like happened right when I was in Norfolk. So that, that first year it's, it cut the season short. So, we're, season was supposed to end in May. I think it was like end of Mar or end of March. It hit or early March. So oh, yeah, that was that was my rookie year for sure. That was it was a long one. And then I was in. Uh, yeah. We got everybody got sent home when I was in Norfolk because they canceled all the seasons and everything. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah we were going to ask where did COVID, uh, you know, place itself, and you just answered that. Um, business side question, if if you know. So does Knoxville, they own your rights, but when you, you get sort of called up by an mm-hmm. East Coast team, does Knoxville have to approve that? Can Knoxville say, you got a contract with us, you're not going? Or how does uh, that work? 
You, they technically can't say no, but like you get the approval from the coach first. Um, normally those coaches or the, like those teams will talk to Knoxville or whatever that coach first. Yeah. And then they will tell you, um, but honestly, in my, I've had multiple, I've had some not tell the coach. I've had some come directly to me through my agent, which I do have an agent who has helped with all this. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends. Each coach is kind of do it differently. They kind of, they can't say no, but I've, there's definitely been coaches in the past that have maybe said you're not going or threaten you if you do go. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like, okay, you can take it, but you know, like I've heard from some other buddies in different leagues have pretty much said the same thing. Like their experiences, like you can take it, but it's on you, you know, like your yeah. rights may not be like, you might not have a spot when you come back or that type of stuff. So it, it, it's definitely, um, you can pick and choose. That's the thing too. I mean, I'm at the point now, like my first year I was taking call-ups, like you saw like kind of anywhere now as a player, like older player and like where I'm at, I'm not taking call-ups unless it's where I want to be. It's just a different part of my career. So you can say no to a call, like teams can call you and you can say, yeah, I'm coming. I would like to, or you can say no. And the coach can, you can kind of talk to like Knoxville coach or wherever about it and kind of decide on it as well. So um, real difference between SPHL, ECHL, if you had to wrap it up in a couple sentences, how would you describe the difference? Honestly, I don't think um, there's that much of a difference. I would say just depth-wise, it's like one through, like lines one through three in the coast are playing, like line first line are most SPHL teams, I think can all play in the ECHL. A lot of guys have. I know a lot of guys have done well. I've known guys that played their line in the SPHL and are now still in the ECHL doing very well. It's all about the opportunity you get, you know. So I don't think it's that big of a difference, to be honest. I would just say, like, all, like, roster from every guy, like the depth. Um, some teams may not have the depth in the SPHL, as you might be a first-line heavy team and not be a – a full 20 man roster heavy, to be honest. Um, more ECHL teams are like top to bottom. Every guy can play and like a your third line guy could be a first line guy. First line can play third line for the most part. So I, I mean, maybe a little bit faster, but I've played in both leagues for five years and I don't see much of a difference to be honest. So I don't want to stay on the, uh, the COVID thing for too long, but we, we do like to ask any, players, coaches, any personnel that went through it during that time. Um, obviously, you were in, I think you said, Norfolk when that happened. So what was going through your minds and all this uncertainty? And were you able to work out? Were you able to train? Did you think, wow, this this may be kind of like some some players thought that it could be the end of their career just because they were some of them were getting older. You're, you were young, especially during this time. But uh, just a lot of uncertainty for pro athletes and pro hockey players of any level. So we just like to see what's going through your mind at that time. What were you doing? Yeah, yeah I mean, it was definitely pretty bizarre and wild. I mean, I don't think a lot of, like, even the world had kind of been through that, like, not knowing what was going to happen and stuff. So, I mean, when I got home, 
they sent everybody home, canceled the season immediately. And that was the thing. We didn't like know what was going to happen. And, um, you know, I was luckily gyms and everything were open in Maine, different States had different laws. So I was able to work out still. Um, cause got home in May. I was golfing a bunch cause that was considered like outside activity. So like I, it was just right. a longer off season, like, which is how they put it because normally the season starts in October. Um, the following year, they didn't start the league in October and all these teams couldn't play because of state regulations. So for the most part, right. the only teams that could play were like Southern Western teams. Cause those state laws were more open than like the North. Right. I know I was living in the North and everything was shut down. Like I know like all the ECHL teams in the North division couldn't play because they wouldn't allow fans and stuff like that. So I know a lot of ECHL teams that year wouldn't play or they couldn't. And then even SPHL teams, there was only, I think five. So pretty much it was a, it was a bizarre year, but it was like only half the teams are playing. So I remember just, I got the call back from Knoxville. And at that point, if you got any call, you were like accepting it. And just so you could still play, you know, like you go a year yeah. without playing and it's like, it can be tough. So I remember I got the call from Knoxville and the SPHL that year was like uh, a lot of guys are my half my team that year are all in the AHL. Like they're all ECHL captains. They're all in the AHL. So it was, um, it was a stacked league. It was kind of, if you got the opportunity to play, you, you were taking it. And that was the thing. It pushed some guys careers to probably end because a full year, if you couldn't get in a place to play, if you take a full year off, it it's tough, you know? So it was definitely bizarre, but we ended up starting the season, I think in December and we went yeah. to like the end of May. So it was just like, a, we went from March, an off season of March to December. It, it was just wild. It was just, it's something I'd never been through. That's for sure. You um you spent some time in the Midwest here in 2021-22. So you start yeah. off in Wichita, and then you go to Rapid City for uh, just a handful of games, and yeah. uh, and Knoxville again. But then the next year, you spend most of the season in the East Coast with um, Adirondack. So my question is: is this is and we've had some East Coast players try to describe this, particularly the ones that play like in Florida. What's the difference um, both with, um, I don't want to say management, but we'll say arenas slash uh, fan base um, from the East Coast to the Midwest teams what are your feelings on that because we're from Tulsa if you don't know so we're mm -hmm. well versed with the Tulsa Oilers and they mm -hmm. and the East Coast Midwest teams yeah it's it's definitely different for sure um in Wichita I, we, we had a great arena we got great fans um Tulsa great fans they were always packing it a lot um for fans wise, I mean the South is that thing like hockey's pretty big and like like Texas, like Tulsa area, like they're they know uh South is a little bit more like football territory and like don't necessarily know hockey as much. 
which I think hockey in the South is definitely growing now. Like Knoxville, we get great fans. Like a lot of the places I play in the South are getting great fans. So it's, it's definitely a little different, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved playing in the South. Like I've always loved playing like even Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, all those spots have always been um, fun to play at. And, you know, you get the nice weather as well. You don't, you don't really get a winter. You don't get, the rain, the snow, you get me wise, I get the golf, you know, like, but I mean that the Midwest was definitely a little eye opening for me because I'd never been that far. I was always Maine growing up furthest. I was, so it was definitely um, a little different, but I enjoyed it there. And I think my time in Wichita was just, I had a lot of friends still in Knoxville the year before from the year before. And I may have not enjoyed Wichita as much as I wanted to, it wasn't the best fit coaching wise, um, opportunity wise. So, um, I pretty much was like, you know what? I, I knocked was always a second home and I've always like, well, if I'm playing pro hockey, I like, you want to enjoy it. You know, I know where you're going to be. You gotta, you know, so I, we, um, kind of, I just wanted to go back to Knoxville and enjoy it. So midway through the year, we kind of made that happen a little bit. I end up, I was supposed to go back and ra- it's funny, the rapid city because my captain from Knoxville the year before through the um, COVID year, he's actually the captain in rapid city. So they were um, okay. playing, they were, they were coming to play Wichita for a weekend uh, for a week trip. And I was about ready to leave for Knoxville. And he called me and he was like, Hey, are you still there? I'm like, yeah, why? He was like, well, we're flying in and we only got nine forwards. Normally you play 10, 12, He's like, we got nine forwards. He's like, stay put. Like, we're picking you up. So Rapid City claimed me off the the waiver wire as well. And then I played. And then I went from the, the Wichita rap, uh, locker room to grab my gear that morning and went right to the Rapid City locker room and played with Rapid City for the weekend. Wow. Against yeah. Wichita? Against Wichita, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, so it was, it was my last question, kind of Brady, before we – so my last question before we get to our lightning round question, I don't know if my father has anything more, but one thing I, I didn't want to forget to ask is you did get a little bit of taste of the playoffs, um, if I'm not mistaken, in 2023 in the ECHL with Adirondacks. Yes. Yep. Talk to us about that. We went when we saw Tulsa Oilers go to the uh, the championships or the semifinals, whatever it was, you know, years ago. And, uh, I mean, it's just as brutal, if not more brutal, than the NHL playoffs, just given the type of game played. What was your experience like? Was it crazy? Was it was it even yeah. much different? Because you had SBHL experience too in the playoffs, so I'm just curious what what that was like. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So I end up I got that Adirondack last year in December, end of December. They were five and tw- like they're at the bottom of the league, five wins, and um, we made some changes. I got there, a couple other guys got there, and we just went on an absolute heater. Um, we end up. Last game of the year, we had to win, and we ended up winning, going from last place to getting the final playoff spot. Um, oh, yeah, wow. so, yeah. So we had uh, our last game of the season last year was against Worcester, and the winner got it. So we ended up, um, we ended up winning. So we were, it was such a war. It was crazy. So and then two days later, we had to play Newfoundland, and um, yeah, it, it was pretty wild. Newfoundland was known as probably the best team around like they were top to bottom crazy um 
a yeah, lot. They like, were st- yeah, they were stacked with all the stacked. NHL. If yeah. I remember. yeah. So, yeah, they came down with a whole new team come playoff time with all the AHL guys. So, um, we end up, it was definitely, we, we won game one actually at home. But the, my crazy experience was with the travel because then we had the getting flights. We were all we were on the same flight as as Newfoundland going to Newfoundland for four games there. Both flights got delayed and canceled for three days because um, the weather was so bad in Newfoundland. So we had to wait around. It was um yeah the playoffs was definitely pretty. It was pretty. We ended up losing, but I mean they were a great team and it was just that extra like you said, playoff hockey, that extra little bit, it was just, it was tough. You know, it's, it's a grind. That's for sure. It's playoff hockey. So currently you're, you're in Knoxville, but you did spend a little bit of time in the East coast with, with Atlanta. So basically it's sort of, um, you don't know where you're going to be next week. You could get called up again. It it just looks like, um, you know, you're going to, you get called up all the time. So, um, I guess we can't ask you where you predict you're going to be for the rest of the season because you might you who knows right yeah. you might get yeah. called up again. Yeah, so that'll I, be fun to yeah. watch uh, watch your career to see uh, you know where you, where you're going to go next. We finished. Hey, maybe with Coach some... Murray wants him on Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Coach yeah. Murray wants him in Tulsa. You never know. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's strange. Like you said, Brady, it's 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 a it's a business of you know we've seen it. It you know here in Tulsa, Andrew just mentioned Tulsa, you know, you get a guy come in and it's a handful of games, like you say, because they got calls, call-ups, they got injuries, you know, they're filling the gaps here, there and everywhere. And, and that's very common in, in the, in the East coast, in the East Mm -hmm. coast. So we're going to finish with lightning round, whatever comes to your head first, just go ahead. And if it's a name, great. If it's a story, time is yours, but uh, we're going to hit you with some questions. Andrew, you want to start? So we like to I like to start this off with because we have a we have an actual tally, especially for the ECHL. You could even include SPHL if you want, because we like to hear some more SPHL stuff too. But uh which has the worst locker rooms? Any Danbury Ooh. trasher type locker rooms you <laughs> had to deal with? Ooh, worst locker rooms. Um, I would have to say Vermilion County. Um last they're no longer a team. But their uh, their setup was was pretty brutal. I only played there once, but it was like a, a, a rink that fit two hundred people too. Is you'd have to walk downstairs, like the locker rooms upstairs, and you'd have to walk down flights of stairs to the rink, and then you'd have to walk back up in between periods. Yeah, it was. That, I would say that's probably my worst that I've been through. Um, this one, I'm gonna go East Coast specific. The worst ice conditions, because we do keep a tally on this one from players. The worst ice conditions in the East Coast League. Oh, man. It has to be somewhere in the South. Um, I remember We played in Jacksonville last year in Adirondack. That got pretty chewed up pretty quick. I mean, they are in Florida, Florida weather, you know. Uh, I mean, you get the humidity and all that, but yeah i would probably i'd probably have to say the jackson when i played that weekend was pretty bad usually and but, we get we get that too we also get and you played that we get a lot of wichita 
I was also gonna say that, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to sewer the whole team like there. But I, I do have a story. Like when I was there, we end up. It was at the end of the second period, and uh, we were up five one, I think. And it was like a minute left in the second, and there was a hole in the ice. A goalie was like coming out, and he's like, "There's a hole in the ice," and uh, they're like, "So they end up putting us in the locker rooms, try to fix the hole." We were took i gotta say probably an hour and a half break it was in it was insane like they should they were talking about just calling the game it took at least an hour to fix it and then we came out into the third with it still not great and we end up losing i think six five seven six after it because like you were just the break was so long like the ice was that bad so yeah i would say wichita is definitely up there too <laughs> wow who yeah. is uh, the best goalie you played against? The best goalie against? Ooh. Um. Yeah. Who is just the toughest I, goalie to try and score on? Let's see. I know. I mean, I had Logan Thompson as my goalie in South Carolina that year, and he's goalie for Vegas now. Um, him in practice, he was yeah. unbelievable. He that was his rookie year too. He was really good. I mean, as as a being a own goalie, you get to shoot in practice. He he would be up there on my list. Um, Cam Johnson of Florida, he's a very good goalie. I think he's been around a lot. He's a veteran guy. Those would have to be. I'm trying to think. There was. Um. Yeah, I'd probably have to go with those guys. Favorite now line mate. We'll, we'll, we'll give you two on this one. Favorite line mate. Favorite line mate of all time. Yeah. Or or it, since it could, all time. Dude, it could be any league. Any league. Yep. Um, does college count? Did you have, just your, like did you have your brother on your line? Well, that's what I was gonna say. So my brother um was on my line and. He was uh we played every le- every level together, um, mites all the way up till college. So uh yeah. we still play men's league to this day. So um like it's like people always say like the Sadin uh chemistry. We have that type of chemistry on the ice. We find each other everywhere. So I'd have to probably if I could say any level, I'd put him hundred percent. Your mom will That's be awesome. happy with that That's answer, true. yeah. <laughs> she will. <laughs> Who was uh what what was the what was the rowdiest or best fan base that you got to be a part of? And I don't mean if it was like the home team like yours, but even if it was an away game, what's just the craziest fan base you know of? It could be ECHL or SPHL. I would say I got two answers for this one. For I would say Adirondack for play. I know a lot of away teams would say Adirondack as well because they get heckled pretty good. But as a home player there too the crowd there is unbelievable it's a smaller rink right on top of you it was a blast playing every home game and i know every away team hated playing there because they were right on you and i would say for echl that was definitely my number one i would say um okay. i'd probably say the one to play against and rowdiest is roanoke 100 percent okay. um they're uh you never like going into Roanoke. <laughs> um, they're they're just always on you. Their their fans will give you a hard time. They're 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 passionate as well. Like they're always loud. They always get a good crowd. So um, I even say no- Knoxville's definitely. Um, 
I love playing there. Our crowd's great playing for, and I know people on other teams always hate playing in Knoxville because they get very rowdy towards the away team as well. So those would be mine for sure. Who is, uh, who's the rat or the guy that gets under your skin the most in your career? Who's a guy that just had your number, knew how to push your buttons. There's, there's gotta be somebody trying to torment you out there. I gotta admit, uh, if, if you talk to some other guys, I'm a, I'm a pretty low key guy on the ice. I, I don't really get angry often and I'm not a, like a fighter or anything. So I'm pretty, I'm in like great terms with pretty much every guy I would say. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have one, like anybody that's really gotten under me. I don't have one specific guy. That's for sure. Um, that's a positive. That's an asset, man. Yeah. Dude, that's it's like, even like, even rats and other teams. It's like, they like, we're always buddy, kind of not buddy, buddy. Cause I don't want to say that, but like, we're always like on good terms and never really, had anybody kind of really coming after me or me going after somebody else either. So I, I try and play like that. I I mean, I think, um, yeah, I just try and play like that. I don't try and be too much a rat or have rats. Guys don't really get under my skin. I know guys have tried to get under my skin for a while and it just kind of, I'd say I've had some battles with Travis Armstrong as he was a guy in Roanoke. He's a big guy, but um, yeah, I've never really had a, one big rat. I would say maybe Michael Robidoux. He's, I think he's a rat okay. towards everybody. He was in uh, Allen and um, he's been kind of all over. He's just been, he's just, he, it's the way he plays, you know, he plays the game hard and gets in your face type of style. So I would say he probably got under my skin the most, but yeah. So I know that this uh, this last question is a bit broad. Dad, I don't know if you want to add another question or anything before I say this. Do you want to add something? No, no, I don't. And yeah, this will be a. I know what he's going to ask a broad one. And you know, you still get a lot of years left in your career. But Andrew, the last question we always ask is, what has been your uh, most fond memory in your hockey career thus far? Just it could be the first pro goal, it could be something in college, high school. Just what's something that. You look back on you like, yeah, it's one of my greatest memories so far. Yeah, I got, I got a few. I'd say, um, high school. I'll go up. High school, my freshman year, um, where I'm from in Maine, Biddeford was a powerhouse, big pat. Like, um, there's been four state championships in the entire school history. Was the first one was my dad who won it. First one Biddeford had ever won. And then the other two is when I was like in middle school and my two other brothers, they both won it together. So, and then, um, my oldest brother graduated. So he got his and my old middle brother, Trevor, he ended up had his two rings so far. So he was a senior and when I was a freshman and, um, we were line mates there and had a good year and we won the state championship on a battle. We, um, so I would say probably, that for sure. I, as a freshman, I had the, um, in Lewis, the main, they have like the call say where like the maniacs and all those guys play. So sell out 5,000 people. So as a freshman at 14 years old, I ended up having, uh, the game winning goal in the state championship oh, wow. and we won. Oh, nice. So I would probably say that's definitely up there because I was just the only one in the family without a state championship ring. And that, um, that's solidified it. So all four of us have rings. 
So I would say that one's up there. And it was like personal goal and a team goal to win a state championship, like with my brother as the captain, everything was definitely something pretty special. And I'd say probably in college, my senior year as well, um, was the first time we had won the conference championship it was CCC championship. Um, I was captain then. And I think that's definitely up there when you, it was the first one in school history and to be able to play college in your hometown and kind of be that hometown guy, everybody looked up to. And I think to bring the first championship there was something pretty special. Um, we ended up not getting to win the national championship, sadly, which is, was obviously the goal, but you can never, I'd say this, the conference championship for sure. And then I, I think always the, the first pro goal is always something uh, you'll remember as well. I mean, I remember in Atlanta, it was right after I came out of school, it was like my second game or whatever. And um, it's actually Atlanta head coach now who is just my coach. He made a, Derek Desmond made a great pass from behind the net. And I just kind of, you know, I saw the, the net and kind of ripped it. So that's always one of my greatest memories too. I'll never forget that. Man, we can't thank you enough for having you on. We're going to look forward to following your career because you're like, you move <laughs> everywhere we league. So it's uh it's a, it's exciting to see it. And, and hopefully you find a good spot too, uh, that, uh, you know, you don't want to be moving too much. So, but it's going to yep. be interesting to follow your career. Um, hang on. We'll say goodbye off air, but on air, we can't thank you enough for coming on, man. And it's been a yeah. pleasure having you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. It was, it was awesome.